Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley is presented by Domino's Hawaii, now promising contactless delivery to assure that your pizza is delivered safely to your door. Domino's Hawaii wants to thank its entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve our neighbors during these trying times. And a special thanks to you, the customers, for your continued trust. As a locally owned company, Domino's Hawaii knows there are people seeking work, and it is hiring as many in our community as possible right now. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and let's look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? We got a pretty cool one today. Nick Rolovich, the former University of Hawaii head football coach, now head coach at Washington State. He's going to join us uh, and he's going to talk about dealing with not just a transition to a new location and program, but uh, alongside this pandemic. And so uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation for sure. Also, an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, the passing of Willie Kay, who is someone who meant a lot uh, to Nick Rolovich and really meant a lot to us. Uh, as we'll get to here in a moment. But let's start things off with the warm-up. With the conclusion of The Last Dance, and we did uh, several LTS Quick Snaps episodes about The Last Dance docuseries, but with the 10-part documentary series finally coming to an end, what would be another 10-part docuseries subject that you think you'd like to see and would justify that kind of of length uh, in terms of a documentary? Yeah, you mentioned the length. I think that's the key, right? There are a lot of intriguing subjects out there in the world of sports and, and anything revolving around the world of sports. And so you need somebody or something as big as Michael and the Bulls, like, you know, or OJ and that 10-part docuseries that, that ESPN put together. Uh, and so there, there are only a few that really come to mind that I think warrant that kind of, of coverage as opposed to, you know, like an hour and a half or two-hour single entity uh, documentary, but but Tiger Tiger immediately comes to mind. Tiger Woods, right? The the ascent, the, what we've never the dominance, what we've never seen, the downfall. Because uh, you got to have a little drama, right? You have to have a little controversy to make this thing enjoyable. And then the the redemption, if you will, and 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 how he's resurrected his career and how he's still playing this well uh, at this age. So yeah, ti- Tiger, I'm 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 a Tiger guy when it comes to uh, the Big Ten part docu series. I don't know if we'll ever get it or something like that. Uh, but Tiger Woods is, is my number one vote. I think that's a great one. I think another one, if you're talking about team sports, would have to be the New England Patriots, right? Because I think what made the Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls story in the last dance so special was it was attached to this fantastic dynasty, this incredible two-decade run of either dominance or at least contention behind perhaps the all-time greatest quarterback in Tom Brady and one of the all-time greatest head coaches in Bill Belichick. But you also have those moments like deflate gate like Spygate, whatever other gate you want to apply to the New England Patriots run. Uh, And so I think that there's enough content there, and I think there'd be enough general interest because uh, the Patriots, say what you will about them, they're polarizing. You can love them, but you can also hate them. You can love to hate them. And I think that all feeds into why people would tune into a 10-part documentary series. Uh, The New England Patriots, I think, would be pretty compelling. All right, what about a Hawaii-oriented topic, like a 10-part docuseries on a Hawaii sports theme? What would you first come up with? Yeah, again, right, you need, the t- you need 10 parts when it comes to this. Uh, I think immediately coming to mind is 
the 2006, 2007, especially 2007, right, uh, Sugar Bowl Hawaii football team. And that can be a, a lengthy deal, right? I mean, you can go all the way back to the origins of June Jones in 1999. Heck, I think you can even really explore before that when they were terrible uh, and went 0-12 in 1998. So it would be a lengthy period of time that I think would kind of culminate with the Sugar Bowl. It also doesn't end great in, in the Sugar Bowl loss. Uh, and then, of course, the departure of June Jones. So I, I think that in itself would be enough for 10 parts and, and all that everything comes around with it. I'm sure we'll get some Ian Sample book references. Like, it'll be great. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if we'll get the access and everybody's going to be willing to, to get interviewed. But uh, that, that immediately comes to mind. And then my other honorable mention, I don't know if it's a 10-parter or a five-whatever, is uh, Maui Big Leaguers. Like, the, the fact that Shane Victorino and Kurt Suzuki – or like a year apart in age, grew up, I don't know, two minutes apart from each other in Wailuku and both have won World Series. Then you sprinkle in the Kanekoa Teixeiras that have, that have also made the big leagues in that time period. I, I think that is worthy of a document. You can mix in all the baseball success for the Valley Isle as tangents and, and the Little League success and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, the fact that these two guys from a small town in the middle of the ocean, uh, I think would be worthy of a, of a lengthy feature piece. Yeah, I agree with you. Maui baseball, this, the, the success level of this very small, confined place with a very tight-knit community uh, to have two of the greatest major league baseball players to ever come from the state of Hawaii to both be from Maui, uh, that is pretty remarkable. I'm with you there. Uh, I will say that I think an intriguing 10-part docu-series on a Hawaii sporting subject uh, that would be of interest would be St. Louis football. Right. Because, again, we're talking dynasties here. I, I think that feeds into this thing. And uh, because there's so much history there, uh, definitely the content uh, would be justified in terms of stretching it out for 10 episodes. But St. Louis football, like the rise of the Crusaders under the Lee brothers and uh, all of the tremendous players that came through that program, whether it be Dominic Raiola, Olin Krutz, George Ornelas. Chris Fuamatu Ma'afala, and you go into modern day Tua Tongovailoa and Marcus Mariota. Like, get out of here, man. St. Louis football, uh, I think just getting through all of the players that went through that program would get you at least eight episodes. And then the last two can be on, you know, fights in Vegas and other things that may have happened behind the scenes, <laughs> depending on, uh, you know, how open they want to be there, too. But uh, I kind of like the idea of a St. Louis football 10 part docuseries uh, called They're Still Dancing. Because it's, there's no end in sight to this dynasty, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I don't, I don't know if the church would ever sign off on an on a expose of uh, St. Louis football, but uh, there's a lot there. I think there'd be a lot there. Multiple eras, right, of, of Cal Lee and, and the dominance and um, how he never really skipped a beat after stepping away for, for over a decade. It's pretty incredible. And, and the, yeah, you just rattle off all the NFLers, right? Um, that's worthy in itself. All right, let's get to game time. And unfortunately, we start off on a somber note. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this as well with uh, Coach Nick Rolovich. But one of the great ones passed away. Willie Kay died at the age of 59 this week after a two-year bout with cancer. Um, living here on Maui, we had the privilege of, uh, from time to time, being around Willie and seeing him perform in person, uh, perhaps more so than people that lived elsewhere. Uh, your thoughts on Uncle Willie Kay uh, what he meant to this community, what he meant to the musical community, uh, and your, your reaction to his passing. You know, I think what you just said there uh, kind of encapsulates all that Willie Kay was and became. Uh, you know, he was kind of brought a Willie Kay when he started, and then for an entire new generation, he became uncle, 
it became Uncle Willie K for a lot of the younger folks and, and folks that, that, that got to experience his music um, maybe in retrospect in a lot of ways and then got to see him perform live because I think for a lot of people, and, and I am one of those, if you have seen him perform in person, it's hard not to walk away saying that's the greatest performer entertainer I've ever seen. It didn't matter the venue. It didn't matter the size of the crowd, the size of the, of the venue. Um, and, and I'm talking, like, I've seen Bruno Mars, man. Like, uh, you know, it, it, Willie is, is special in that way. Like, he, he was born to perform. And, and if you listen to the albums, you stream his music, you buy the CDs, whatever it is. Like, he, it, it pops, right? It is beautiful music. And then you take that and you bring in the entertainer and performer that Willie was, right? I mean, he could play, he could sing anything. He, he could riff with the best of them. And he did with the best of them that made their way through Hawaii or when he crossed paths uh, with them. You, we'll, we'll hear Rolo talk about, uh, you know, hearing him uh, at an Irish pub and kind of <laughs> fitting that music in. Uh, we'll, we'll hear a great story from, from Coach Rolo there. Uh, but I, I just remember the, the way that I encapsulate him it, it, he, you'd go, right? You'd expect some of the, the hits that he plays off the albums, and then he'd break into, like, opera. He'd break into classical music. I remember seeing him, and he'd do, like, Japanese, Japanese samurai reenactments. And, and you'd walk away going, what the bleep? In the most complimentary and mind-blowing way. Because, like, I didn't come for that. But that was what I remember the most. And that was what enthralled me the most, where you're just like, what the heck just happened? You know, and, and I think he was that kind of entertainer. He could craft music and showmanship with that kind of nature where you're, you're just mind blown. You're like, wait, what, what did I just experience? It was like a roller coaster ride of, you know, sensory overload and just all in the most complimentary of ways. I mean, he was just, he was like nobody else. Yeah, I think people that have only heard him via his recordings and and his albums there's going to be an appreciation for his greatness for sure i think people will still call him a legend in the music industry uh, but i don't think if you have not seen him live i don't think you can fully appreciate the true greatness of uncle willie k uh, seeing him perform live on stage and you mentioned uh, there was never a time where it seemed like he was just mailing it in like he was selling people short. Like it was always the maximum Willie K effort on stage, regardless of the size of the crowd. And I have uh, one anecdote that I'd share. Um, this was many years ago, maybe over a decade ago. Um, and he was set to perform as the headline act for a fundraiser for the Lupus Foundation at Diamond Head Theater. Uh, but something went wrong with the computer ticketing system. And so what happened was they only printed out, I think they had the wrong date or something on the tickets, and they only printed out about 20-something tickets. So only 20-some-odd people showed up to this fundraiser at Diamond Head Theater. It was just truly tragic. Willie K was still scheduled to perform, and there were 20-some-odd people that were in the seats. And he just killed it. I mean, absolutely let loose. It was such an incredible show. There was nothing that was forfeited based upon the fact that it wasn't a packed house like it was expected or supposed to be. Uh, he still gave it his maximum effort. Uh, when he would perform the We Are The World uh, song live and he would sing all of the different parts from the different mm -hmm. singers in that song in their actual voices, like he would imitate them and it would sound exactly like them. I mean, just incredible. His talent was, was off the charts. It, it was immeasurable. 
Um, and, you know, I happen to have, uh, through my family, uh, a tie to him. My father-in-law was a tremendously close friend uh, of Willie. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, have, have benefited from that to a great degree. I met my would-be wife uh, at the Willie K uh, charity golf tournament, which went to, um, interestingly enough, went to benefit the oncology department at the hospital here on Maui. Um, and then I was able to talk him. He was nice enough, kind enough. I was able to talk him into actually serenading her, serenading us, I guess, uh, the moment I proposed to her, which was at the hotel, uh, the Sheridan in Ka'anapali, which was where the, the golf tournament uh, reception was held, where I, where I met my wife. And then on top of that, he even performed uh, at our wedding. So uh, I owe a whole lot to Willie Kay and his family. Uh, and so, you know, I was just really lucky and, and, and uh, fortunate to be able to, to call him someone that I knew to, to be able to actually venture so far as to call him a friend. And I just, I love the man a lot and I'm going to miss him a lot. He was, he was really special. And uh, anybody that came into contact with him, um, I think immediately they were able to recognize just how special he was. All right. So it's, it's impossible to make the transition out of uh, that topic to something a little bit more on brand here for our sports show. Uh, but Taulia uh, Tongavailoa, the younger brother of Tua Tongavailoa, who once played at Kapolei and then went up to Alabama to follow his brother. Um, transfers from the Crimson Tide program, announcing that he is going to uh, relocate to Maryland, where he's going to play for head coach Mike Loxley, who, of course, was former offensive coach for Tua Tongavailoa at Alabama. So there's a, a family connection, if you will, there. You like the move here for Taulia to pick the Terrapins. Uh, you know, I get it. I get it, right? And we had heard sort of the rumblings because of the connection with Mike Loxley and, and his time in Alabama, uh, where he was really successful. You know, he was the Broyles Award winner in 2018, which goes to the, the top assistant coach in the country. And his resume as an assistant coach is, is quite impressive, whether it's been stops at, at Maryland, where he's had multiple over the course of his career, uh, Florida, Illinois, um, and then, of course, at Alabama. I will say I don't love it from, from a program standpoint. Uh, as good as, as Mike Loxley's resume is as an assistant, you know, he, he is, he's a career 6-40 and 40 record as a head coach. Um, and, and that's not a knock. It's just what the numbers are. He was 2-26 and 26 at New Mexico. And that's where the bulk of his record comes from, obviously. This is his second stint um, at Maryland. First full-time stint was 1-5 in, in, in like an interim deal. And you can say, look, right, it's New Mexico. Not a lot of people win there. That's kind of contrary, though. He came after Rocky Long, who was really successful at New Mexico, and then was immediately succeeded by Bob Davies, who won at New Mexico. And so it's like, okay, well, there's a, there's a bit of an outlier there when it comes to the last three head coaches uh, that New Mexico had had uh, sandwiching Mike Loxley there. And maybe he's learned a lot. That was a while ago. That was over a decade ago. Maybe he's learned a lot. They went 3-9 and nine last year at Maryland. They went 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten. That was sixth out of seven in the East division. Um, and so for Talia, right. The, that aspect is like, yeah, okay. It's not a program that's going to pop off the page, but I will say, look, it's an opportunity. He's likely to win that starting job next year uh, after he sits out this season due to the transfer rule, because they're not bringing in that caliber of quarterback, quite honestly, uh, often. And, and even though they are really bottom three in the 14 team, big 10, um, they play in the East division. And, and with that, I will say that he has the opportunity every single season if he's the starter there to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Heck, Indiana's been pretty good here as of late as well. But, I mean, those four games every year are marquee games. Those are national television games where he's going to get to showcase his stuff against Ohio State, against Michigan, trips to the big house, trips to the horseshoe, 
uh, where he will get approved his medal. And if he is as good as a lot of people think he is, and I'm one of them, I, I saw him play in high school as a freshman and sophomore, the dude can throw, he is good. Uh, and so, you know, what better way to go prove it and, and maybe elevate a program that hasn't been to those heights in a long, long time instead of going to someplace established. And so I don't, I don't love it, but I get it. And he's got himself a great opportunity if he does go and win that job next year because he's going to be playing high-profile opponents in high-profile settings. Um, and if he goes leads Maryland to wins against Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State or something like this, Penn State, he'll get noticed for sure. Yeah, I think Loxley has made some strides here recently in terms of recruiting. They were able to flip Raheem Jarrett, a five-star prospect receiver from LSU to Maryland, which is no easy task, right? I mean, you're talking about the national champion LSU Tigers right now as a program. They're able to get Jarrett. Uh, to flip. And so I think that's a sign and indication that maybe some people are starting to open their eyes to the possibilities there at Maryland. And I think mainly for Taulia, clearly things got a little crowded in the quarterback room, or at least the writing was on the wall that they'd get a little crowded in the quarterback room at Alabama. He wants an opportunity to play some ball and Maryland needs a quarterback. I, I, there's no denying that he is going to immediately be able to compete, I think, for playing time there. Uh, whether or not he has to redshirt, if he's able to get a waiver, who knows. Uh, but he's going to, whenever he is eligible, he is going to immediately be able to battle uh, and jockey for uh, that position. And, and so I think you have some tools to work with on the recruiting front. It seems as though things are trending upward a bit for the Terps. And he gets the opportunity to immediately, when he is eligible, compete for playing time. All right, we move on. Uh, this is, depending on how you look at it, this is an encouraging story that has come out this week. Hawaii high school administrators have drafted a proposal to open football practices across the state of Hawaii as soon as August 17th with games potentially starting on September 4th. Other fall sports could start practice as early as August 31st in what is suggested to be the start of a traditional three-season athletic year. Maybe each season is squeezed by a few weeks. Uh, that said, uh, Mililani head coach Rod York calls this a reason for hope. Ron Lee, now head coach uh, at St. Louis, is a little more skeptical, saying you can schedule, but it doesn't really mean that you can actually have it. Uh, how significant is this announcement, this quote-unquote blueprint for the prep athletic season? Yeah, I think I align more a little bit with Ron. Uh, it, it, I think it's a good thing, right? It, it allows at least for some planning, some preliminary planning. It gives people a little more of a timeline to work off of. They've built in some buffers. They've shortened the seasons to allow for a little more leeway at the back end if things do need to be shifted uh, a little bit later. The other thing, that the, the significant thing that comes out of that, I think, is that I, I believe it's October 19th is sort of the drop dead deadline where it's like, hey, if we can't start by then, uh, we got to tear this whole thing up and, and uh, basically back to the drawing board. Um, it's optimistic, right? I don't know. I, we, don't, we haven't heard a plan yet from the Department of Education uh, as to what school's going to look like. Uh, so the, the, uh, the extracurriculars are, are, are getting out ahead of it a, a little bit earlier, and they, they understand. It's not like they ha they're under, working under the pretense that they're going to play even if kids aren't back physically in classrooms. I, I think they're well aware of that. Uh, but it does allow. They, they need to schedule um, and book venues for state tournaments, which I get. Um, although I, I, I kind of like to see them explore, and it sounds like that ship has sailed, but I'd, I'd really like to see them explore a little bit more of what Chris Chun, the executive director, has talked about in, in shifting seasons around. Uh, and if that means that, hey, the state basketball tournament isn't going to be at the Stan Sheriff Center or something like that, let's just play it at high school gyms because you don't have to book those in advance uh, and stick to such stringent dates where you're going to be playing 
you know, at, at neutral sites at, at, at the Blaisdell or at Murakami stadium for baseball or something like that. Um, then so be it like the, you know, then that we'll, we'll, we'll be able to be more flexible because I, I think we're as likely to see football in the spring as we are starting October or starting August 17th with, with practice dates, just because there's so much still unknown. And, and I know we're getting back to it, but uh, it's significant, allows them some scheduling. Again, that October 19th date, I think is really the critical one because that's the, the be all end all where they have to start by. But I, I, I do think revamping the seasonal schedules, moving some, you know, golf and tennis and some of those sports to the fall was a really good idea, but it, it sounds like it didn't get the traction um, to move it forward. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that scene in Seinfeld where Jerry's trying to get his rental car and the woman, the clerk behind the desk is saying, oh, we don't have the car. And he said, but I made a reservation. She's like, I know what a reservation is. He's like, I don't think you do. Because if you knew what a reservation was, I would have a car. That's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just make reservations. And that kind of feels like this, like it's great to announce this and it clearly projects their intent. And I think that that's important to send that message to the rest of the community. Hey, we are intent on having prep sports. I can appreciate that, but it doesn't really mean anything at the moment until there is the legit clearance to do so. And that validation has yet to come. So I'm with you. I think Ron Lee is a little bit more realistic about this uh, saying, Hey, look, we'll just, you have to take it with a grain of salt. This is only so valuable uh, it could all just be words by the time we get to a certain point here uh, if we have not established within the state of Hawaii the clearance to be able to have sports and, and to be able to break some of the current restrictions in terms of social distancing and otherwise. Uh, all right, it's time to get to our Domino's Hawaii main topping. And the main topping for this episode is Nick Rolovich, the head coach at Washington State. Uh, very excited to be able to talk with him. Let's go ahead and play that interview now. All right, here with Coach Rolo, and we have not actually spoken with you since you got the new gig as head coach for the Washington State football program. So I guess our first question has to be, how you doing, man? Long time, no talk. Long time. No, it's, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's great to see you and talk with you. And, you know, we, I, I just appreciate everything you did while I was in Hawaii, to be honest. I mean, it was really, I enjoyed the promotion of the program in your heart and, you know, just talking about your dad's days as, as in, you know, when he would kind of be broadcast. Things are going well up here, just dealing with the corona stuff and staying at home. Yeah, yeah, I imagine times are a little bit different. Uh, it wasn't exactly what you envisioned when you first <laughs> set off to Pullman. How are you adjusting to all of that? Uh, a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of Zoom recruiting, um, a lot of patiently waiting for um, somebody to make a decision right it's hard for people to make just flat out plans um so just being patient keeping the guys um you know as motivated as they can without being together so that's been that's been intriguing right having some team meetings and um coach Gobi does a good job with his meetings but it's just not the same when you're not in person so you know but we, we have a focus team there i think they're handling business on the on the you know on their own yeah, how how much uh, contact did you get with your guys before this all kind of came to a screeching halt? Uh, I know getting there mid January was it? Yeah, maybe a couple months, maybe. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time with them. You know, meetings, walkthroughs, weight room. So um, I'm glad we 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 probably put a lot more time than we originally planned um, 
just being around the guys in the weight room every chance we could because I think it's because we got you know it was a it was a job that opened up late in the in the cycle so you had to kind of really get to know the guys and and get, get them ready for spring ball so I thought the assistant coaches did a really nice job of um surrounding their position groups and you know really getting to know them as people and building some trust yeah well where does that kind of put you guys as as a first year group as, as you mentioned at Washington State in terms of just getting everything installed and, and, and so much new for you and, and your guys yeah it's um it's continually evolving right you want to put in so much of the offense so much of the defense but as time ticks away you know you need to start reevaluating how you're going to approach it um what you're going to install how much you're going to you know put on the kids to learn um, but that, and that's assuming we have a start date of what we all assumed was going to be the start date of 2020. You know, there's still no definite plans moving forward on dates and there's schedule talks and there's, there's, there's a lot up in the air right now. We had a recent uh, report that Jim Harbaugh, head coach for Michigan, uh, had said that he feels like playing in front of empty stands or playing football in empty stadiums is at least better than having no games whatsoever here and whatever kind of schedule college football may look like uh, do you agree with that do you feel like it's important just to play these games whether or not there are people in the in the stands oh I do but it's also easier for us to say because um you know the fans you know that's what they they want to have that experience you know we're going to play it with them or without them and they make a difference there's no doubt but um I think it's easy for coaches to say that you know, I saw you in a recent interview uh, where you talked about uh, having established a bit of a comfort with chaos. You said, you know, I don't really mind chaos. I've dealt with chaos already, uh, so to speak, in my coaching career. What, what did you sort of mean by that? Not, not, not necessarily chaos about any place I was, or, but um, I've, I, I like this hasn't, it hasn't been a stressful time for me. You know, you keep in touch with your guys. You know, when it's time to go, when we get the green light, we're going to go. And you, I just, I, I try, I feel like I don't panic and don't, you know, run around making all just with my chicken with a head cut off. I try to just, uh, you know, assess the situation. If it is chaotic, just work your way through it. Yeah, I think uh, as we've all gotten to know you, whether it's been here in Hawaii or, or other stops in your career, you're a guy who, who I think makes the best of any situation. What, what has it been like uh, making the move to Pullman and getting to know that community uh, nice and community. getting yourself ingratiated with, uh, with the folks up there? Nice community and, and, and really a lot of similarities to the Aloha spirit. Um, a, a lot less people. So, um, you know, it's a small town of 35,000, but there is a, a genuine care for one another in the, in the city, in the community, which is, is you know, Weather-wise, it's much different, but, you know, that feeling is fairly similar to Hawaii, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, I, I've seen you uh, sending out some, some free food and all kinds of stuff, supporting local businesses. Uh, what, what, what's the motivation behind that, uh, uh, getting folks involved and in, in supporting some of those local institutions? Uh, I'm just trying to do nice things for people who may need it more than me. I mean, they gave them this job is incredible pay, right? And so you can help other people who are struggling right now. Basically, you know, we're, we're coaching from a computer, you know, and you almost feel guilty sometimes. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you talk about the, the, the parallels or the similarities between the community back 
here in the islands and, and what you are now becoming more and more familiar with up there in Pullman, Washington. Uh, when this job opened up, my first thought, my very first initial thought was, oh boy, this could be where Rolo is headed. It just seemed like the, the programs by nature, by, by the community around them, were similar. You, you were used to coaching in geographical isolation here in Hawaii and Pullman, obviously in its own right, is geographically isolated as well. Has that been felt? Uh, is, is, is that transition as comfortable as maybe some of us on the outside would think it would be? Uh, pro- probably more than most other jobs in the country, to be honest. Um, you know, there's, you know, you're in the middle of, of the country and you're on an island, but there is an isolation factor and kids, you can't trick them into coming to either spot. You know, they got to want to be there. And you can't get upset if a kid says, I don't want to, you know, live on an island or I don't want to live in the Palouse. You know, that's not going to change. And you just got to accept it and move on Uh, because there are kids that that do want both of those um, experiences. And, uh, you know, real college town up here. I mean, it's, you know, more than two thirds of the the population is the students. So it's, um, you know, it is a small college town. But, but, I, where you're going, I kind of, I'm like, okay, that, you know, that one might, might be the one that might pop. So, and, and it wasn't like, you know, trying to get every job that came open. Um, it just, a lot of things lined up to where it seemed to fit, you know, so. Yeah. And you can tell even the the reaction from the community up there. I mean, they seem to really, welcome you your style as a coach your style schematically as a coach what has been the reaction you've most heard from the fans the the community members up there in Pullman they're very appreciative of that aloha spirit approach you know and doing the right thing I think I think you know I I don't I think I was raised in a good way by my parents I think Uh, but when I got to Hawaii and really kind of dawned on me this this whole state relies on on this this spirit and taking care of one another and 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 really then i got to go on in different parts of the world and and play football or coach and it works everywhere you know and and that's that's a really i just you couldn't convince me otherwise it's you know it's and i'm fortunate to be able to, to to do it um and help people in different ways yeah, and kind of going over some of the reasons this this makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you were considering this job, or, or at any point in your career, did you envision schematic fit being a a big reason? Just the style of play with what Washington State's been doing offensively, or is that lower on the list than maybe people would imagine? I think it was an important factor in the search. Um, you know, I couldn't. I know it's um, probably. You know, talking about what, what Kanoa brought up as far as the isolation of both places somewhat. Um, but that was probably, you know, that was a big deal as far as not having to, you know, because we went through it, right? We tried to do some stuff with tight ends while they're on the roster, you know, thought it was the best move. It got us to a bowl game, um, but it really wasn't who we were. And, you know, when we went to full run and shoot, right, you know, this is at least set up. In, in a, and not only just the personnel level of it, it's, it's the mindset, right? It's the aggressive mindset. It's throwing the ball, feeling confident doing it, winning football games with having the ball in the air. And I think that was a big part 
in the, in the fit part. Yeah, that, that was going to be kind of my follow-up question was just how you've seen your, your new players adjust to that. Uh, has it been a quicker learning curve than maybe you've experienced in the past? Uh, no, it's hard for me to say that because we didn't really get a lot of time. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the meetings, there's definitely some differences, right? But there's only so many ways you can, you know, run this way or run that way. I think it's the the idea of um, changing routes a little bit much more I don't know much or but I know we we will now adjust routes more than um the air raid does um the air raid was very successful in using the back out of the backfield as a receiver um not something we've specialized in with the run and shoot um but I I I think it was they were intrigued by it they were intrigued by some of the rules some of the reasoning um and so the receiver core's got some experience. The quarterbacks have none. So we'll see how, uh, you know, we got to get together. And that, that, as much as we want to do on the Zoom, they got to get together and, and build that relationship. Yeah, the, the player development aspect, obviously, is the biggest challenge here because you can't get hands-on with these guys uh, on the field in that kind of setting, at least not yet. Uh, right. And so what do those mental reps look like? What do the Zoom lessons look like when you're dealing with uh, quarterbacks as you're describing well it's you know their screen will come up and they'll we can we can share the screen and get the film up there and you know powerpoints you know there's not a whole lot of difference but my thing is is the receivers and quarterbacks really gotta i think spend time together and that's on the field but basically it's it's what we're doing now we share the screen and, and video pops up and take them through a cut up or take them through game film of, of Hawaii stuff or take them through um, really anything, you know, as you, but how, how much do you want to install on a computer screen? You know, do you want to force, you know, force feed this stuff? We don't, we don't know if we haven't seen the proof of the, the foundation um, of the offense to a point where you feel you want to keep building on it. You know, um, I think it's a slower process without them physically doing it. Well, Washington State has long had strong ties to the islands, uh, be it in the form of recruits from Hawaii uh, and even at the quarterback position with Jason Gesser, former St. Louis quarterback who went on to greatness uh, in Pullman. And now you have Jaden Delora who uh, maintained his commitment to Washington State through the coaching change. He comes from uh, that, that St. Louis program that continues to spit out champions and, and high-quality prospects. Um, what kind of expectation do you have for him here, the very front end of his college career? He's got to be ready to come in and compete. I mean, uh, compete. You know, we have, you know, so you, you talk about the situation in January. He would, you know, he wasn't going to be there in spring ball. So you you would think some of the guys could get an upper leg on him. Now it looks like more likely we're all going to get together on the field at the at, at the same time without spring ball and whatever we get this summer. So, um, you know, it's really an even, even starting line for all these guys. And I think we will be forced to make decisions somewhat earlier than we would like to. Um, you got to just, again, you could probably break it down to, to two or three after spring ball, then you're going to redo it, see how people have got better over the summer. And, and Jaden comes in and um, it's now it's all going to happen at the same time. So, if, if I was him, I would feel, you know, pretty uh, – he's probably in the best situation he could ask for, you know, as far as nobody having thrown a college pass, I don't think, on our team. 
Yeah, I'll go from a future quarterback of yours or a current quarterback to, to one of the past in Cole McDonald, um, who, who gets drafted by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, what would you make of the landing spot for, uh, for Cole? Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy he landed. I think he's I, – I, it's hard for me to say. I don't have enough knowledge on exactly what the Titans do offensively to really have an opinion. Um, I think as far as – you know, roster, I think it looks like he has a good chance to, to to stick with the situation. And I know he'll work at it. I mean, we all know he'll work at it. Um, and I think he'll be – I think he'll be a, a good pro. I do. I think he's already taken – you know, he took his career through college with a lot of pro qualities in his approach and, and his mindset. So I think he's ready for this moment. Yeah, the, the, the ESPN draft profile, I think they listed like C-Money as his nickname, uh, which caught us all off guard because we always knew him uh, <laughs> as the nickname China. So we, we're, is there a story there that nobody knew about or, or was it just I faulty don't. information? I don't, I, I, I don't <laughs> ever remember calling him C-Money, but I will. Uh, <laughs> you know, I actually, uh, I, I'm trying, I think he, he's got drafted, he's in the NFL. You know, I almost think that's a Hawaii nickname. I think I'm going to start calling him Cole and, you know, he's, he's a grown up boy now. So I'm going to put China on the shelf. Well, he starts getting those NFL paychecks. See money seems a lot more fitting. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, changing subjects yeah. to, to someone who uh, I know meant a lot to you. Uh, we lost a great one uh, with the legendary musical artist and performer, Willie Kay passing away, uh, succumbing to a two year bout with cancer. Uh, you had participated in the Willie Kay charity golf tournament, which went to benefit the oncology department at the hospital here uh, on Maui. You had participated in that a couple of times. He had played the national anthem and Hawaii Ponoi before a lot of your football games. Um, what was your reaction when you saw the news that Willie had passed at the age of 59? Uh, sad, you know. I mean, it's sad when anyone passes away, but I think someone that was able to bring so much joy and greatness to so many people's lives you know it i think it a lot of people were were extra hurt about that because but then you look back at how much fun we had you know just gathering around him at those golf tournaments or people singing and dancing when he's playing i mean it's you know i i went and saw him out in it's called nicasio when i was back in the bay area and he was that's that was a, that was a great show. I mean, the guy was was incredibly talented. There's there's not a lot of people. I, I actually can't think. I almost clam up around Willie K when I was around him. I would. I'd I'd freeze up, and I don't freeze up around a lot of people. You know, I don't think I'd freeze up around Joe Montana, who was my idol. But he had a presence that was like, you kind of knew you were in, you know, surrounded or in the presence of greatness, like a real high level. Um, person who was great at their craft and and it was it was I'm glad I got a chance to to get to know him through his life and performed maybe one of the greatest renditions of the national anthem of the Star Spangled Banner prior uh to that last UH football game uh, for which he did that thing is going to go down as one of the greatest what, what's your opinion of that awesome but for me when so my son's name's Daniel, and when I was at Murphy's and I had my son on my shoulder, he was one year old in two thousand eight or nine, um, and he played Danny Boy on stage with his ukulele. That was for me. I'll never forget that, you know. And so, you know, and I wish I got a chance to see the national anthem live. You know, I was in the locker room, but um, saw the video. Awesome, you know, really awesome job. 
Uh, you also won a couple of uh, Portuguese horseshoe boxes uh, at one of those yeah. uh, golf tournaments. Do you still have those? Are they in Pullman right now? No, but they I still have them. <laughs> um, I know there's uh, a lot of uh, conspiracies on how those were um, attained on my <laughs> end, but <laughs> uh, they are they are they are one of my uh, valued treasures, and they are going to be packed safe and make it up to Pullman. We're going we're to put, I don't know if they play cornhole or what they play up here, but I'm going to put those boxes down and see who can shoot when we, when we get them here. Oh, they're about to be introduced oh. to a whole new game. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. That, that's going to be awesome. It, it, this might be a bit of a stretch roll, but is there a certain appreciation as a guy in yourself who, who spends a lot of time preparing you know, for singular events, if you will, for, for football games. And it's maybe not on a performance level on the yes. same way as a Willie K, but for a guy in Willie, right, who, who puts in a lot of practice for these performances uh, and, and put on shows, I think, like nobody we've really ever seen, greatest performer I've ever seen live. Is there a certain appreciation from your end uh, for a guy like that uh, in that line of work and the kind of preparation it takes to, to do what he does and put on the show that he did? Well, there's no doubt he put on a great show um, every time. And, but, I, but I think it comes from a genuine love of his craft. You know, I don't, I don't think – I think there was preparation, but I also think he enjoyed every minute, every string he strung, you know, and every jam session he had, every story he told in between songs or as he was practicing. And um, I think it's – if that was not his, his passion, I think it would be a lot harder. But, you know – he was, he found what he was made for. And, you know, he made a lot of people happy along the way. Yeah. I just got one more for you, but is there a particular memory that that, that comes to mind immediately, whether it's, you know, being at Murphy's or, or something on the golf course or, or whatever, what have you? <laughs> I got to ride in a cart with Willie K and I was nervous as heck for 18. <laughs> or no, we only played uh, like eight or nine holes because it got started raining. That's but right. It was, you know, it should have been the greatest, nine holes that I got to play golf and I'm and I'm nervous the whole time so I'm sitting next to Willie K and just <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself <laughs> you know there seems to be a lesson that can be extracted too from his experiences I mean he was diagnosed with lung cancer two years ago and was at the time given six months and he was able to stretch that out through his attitude towards battling the disease uh, to the energy that he was still able to gain from performing for people and putting smiles on people's faces. And so he put up the fight of all fights. And I think as a head coach and, and a leader of men, there has to be a lesson that can be learned and extracted from Willie's experience that you can then share with your players, especially going through an unprecedented challenge like what we're seeing here with the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a true statement. You know, I, 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 I want to thank the guys, you know, at UH because when, when he was diagnosed, they knew, you know, I, I told them how much he meant to me. And, I, hey, guys, I think he, he likes UH football. I think it would be great if we wrote him a letter. And, and those guys wrote him a letter. And I remember him, you know, thanking me for that. And, you know, that was, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would but that meant a lot to him, you know. And, and for him to kind of specify that in our conversation – you know, just in passing one time that, that, that was really appreciated. So I appreciate the time the UH to, to, to write those letters and, you know, really encourage him to fight. Well, we appreciate the time that you've given us to, to catch up with you and, and to talk about one of the guys that we really think so highly of in, in Willie Kay. Um, 
I also noticed on another note uh, in one of your uh, on-camera interviews or whatnot in the background, it seemed as though your hat collection has grown exponentially. Is that oh, true yeah. or what's the deal there? Uh, yeah, the, they, <laughs> now people are giving me hats. So I have, a lot, I, have, I have a lot of hats, but today my hat's off to Willie K. I started the morning with good morning. Woke my family up or my, my boys up. So it's been a good day. Yeah, how perfect is that? Uh, Rolo, we appreciate the time. It's great I talking to you. Great seeing you. Awesome. And uh, hey, best of luck, man. Whenever this thing thank starts you. back up, best of luck to the Cougs. No, thank you. And 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 the Bows, man. I'm I'm excited for that. There's some there's there's a passion coming back on that football team that, you know, that I think those kids are ready to take it to phase three. So I'm excited to watch them too. Uh, did you have an opinion uh, on the the naming of Todd Graham as as your successor, so to speak, uh, in uh, um I, I I know I don't know him personally in in any way. Um, I know he's won football games, and I know um, I think you got to give Dave Matlin some credit for his choices and 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 see how Coach Graham you know was able to because I think he's he, he he might be what what that team needed at this point and. Um, I wish him nothing but the luck, especially Jake and, and Abe and, you know, everybody who's and, – and all those kids, man. They worked hard. Well, you take care, my man. All right, you guys. Good Thanks, Rolo. Okay, law. All right, once again, appreciate the time with Coach Rolo. Let's go ahead and take a break. After this, we'll have our post-game best and worst coming up. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, Upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, it's post-game time, Jordan. Let's get to our best and worst. Let's start with the worst. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst, uh, just yesterday, the NCAA announced their annual APR reports right, the uh, academic progress rating or whatever the heck it's called. And, and 15 Division I institutions didn't meet the mark. Uh, so they, that results in postseason bans, all kinds of sports. Stephen F. Austin and Alabama A&M had three separate programs, including men's basketball, for both not make the cut. And that basically means postseason bans. I, don't lo- I think it's a broken system. I, I really think it's another one of those instances of the NCAA trying but not really hitting the mark uh, because it's largely based on graduation rating. Um, I don't understand because all, if you're ineligible, you can't play. So if you're eligible, you can play. What, what, why doesn't that work enough? And, and then the fact is, if it's based on graduation rating, if I'm one of those kids, one of those schools is going to get penalized next year because I can't play in the postseason, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to transfer. And so I'm not going to graduate from Stephen F. Austin. And it's like it's just this whole cycle, and you see the same schools over and over again. There's probably something there, the fact that most of those schools are HBCUs as well. Um, like it's just such a broken system and I don't understand uh, really if it's doing anything the punishment side of it like I get the rewards on the other end for the schools that are doing really well but 
I don't know, man. It seems it's like I, I feel for these kids. You know, it's like if they were eligible, they could play. It's not like they were failing. It's just, you know, it's just the algorithm that doesn't work in their favor. Uh, all right. My worst is uh, South Korean soccer club FC Seoul issued an apology this week for using sex dolls to fill the empty stands in their K-League matches. Apparently, people who were watching on TV recognized that they weren't just normal mannequins in the seats, that they were actually sex dolls. Uh, and so the club had to issue an apology publicly. They were fined 100 million Korean won or about 82,000 American dollars. Uh, for the violation, which I don't think is the kind of money shot that those dolls were designed for. Also, clearly the kiss cam footage was just getting way out of hand. And so somebody had to put a halt to it. But uh, yeah, that's my worst. That was pretty embarrassing. Let's move over to the best side. Your best, Jordan. Yeah, my best. Uh, we had Nick Rolovich on the show today, the former University of Hawaii head coach, and one of the reasons for the beautiful helmet that UH has been rocking the last couple of years with the H on one side and the Hawaiian Islands, the island chain on the other. And uh, UH football Twitter conducted a poll just a couple of weeks ago. I, I voted on a few of them. Uh, and a lot of times when you run these Twitter polls, especially which has been the rage during quarantine, they have just been miserable failures. Like in my opinion, right? It's just one guy here in the middle of the ocean. But on so many of these, like whether it's TV characters or, or series or all that stuff, I feel like the internet is just getting things wrong. This one, though, spot on. The two finalists were the 1819 Hawaiian Islands helmet and then pitted up against the 1982 to 1998 time period where it was the vintage UH rainbow logo uh, of the Holiday Bowl years and, and all those years. And I thought they absolutely got it 100% right that those two were the finalists, of course, you know, beating out whether it was the silver helmet during the June Jones era or some of the the Minahune logos that kind of popped up throughout time. But uh, I thought those two hands down uh, were the two best helmets. And Hawaii's got a lot of really good helmets and logos over its athletics and football program history. Um, the Islands won out. The 1819 version won out. I voted for the old school UH logo. I think if we just do the Islands on one side, the UH rainbow on the other side logo, um, and then we just we meet in the middle. They have not had a really bad or atrocious helmet at any stage, I think, in the program's history. Uh, but you got to have the the island's decal now. I think that standard has been established. All right, my best is uh, there is this account on Twitter called Room Raider, uh, where they give ratings and critiques on backdrops for reporters and correspondents appearing on television from their homes. Uh, and it's really funny because, I mean, they're breaking it down like, oh, I like the fruit bowl there on the table in the background or a little too much, too much busyness in terms of wall hangings in the back. And it's funny because you see on ESPN and some of these other sports networks, uh, everybody is is trying to maneuver all of their trophies and sports memorabilia over their shoulders to kind of look as sportsy as possible. And I swear, Jeff Passan, who's a tremendously talented Major League Baseball writer for ESPN, his backdrop is a printout. It's a printout of a backdrop. It's very two-dimensional. I'm convinced it's just basically a photograph. Uh, I'm waiting for Room Raider to get to him and call him out for the fraud that he is. Yeah, it's just like a, like a poster or something. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I, think, I think that's probably accurate. Well, we're obviously audio only here, but um, via Zoom, you can see my backdrop. Uh, it's not very uh, happening either. I have just all white walls. I basically look like an Apple store before they stock the shelves. That's basically what my backdrop is. Uh, big thanks once again to Nick Rolovich for jumping on with us. We appreciate it. Jordan, uh, great job. Great talking with you. Uh, we'll do it again here soon, man. Can't wait, man.